Hello and welcome to Publishers Weekly Insider. I'm Mark Rotella, Senior Editor at Publishers Weekly. Today we're going to take a preview at the upcoming London Book Fair and here to talk with us is our expert in all book fairs, our senior writer, Andrew Albanese. Hey there, Mark. So in this week's pre-London Book Fair feature, you mentioned that last year's was about getting through publishing's mid-digital age and uh, this year, however, print is actually looking pretty strong. First, what is the mid-digital age and what is it about print that is pushing those numbers up. Yeah, the mid-digital age, that was a phrase that really caught a lot of people's attention last year. I'd never heard it. I thought it was very clever. But the mid-digital age is described as this period just before everything gets amazing. You know, we have all this great technology now, but still people find themselves disappointed with everything, right? right? I mean, how much of a breakthrough is it really that you can tell your house to turn on the lights versus just hitting a light switch. But the prospect of that technology, what a smart home can do, for example, is much more exciting than the fact that you don't have to flick a switch (laughs) anymore, right? right? So we're in this age now where all these amazing things are starting to be dreamed of, but we're just not there yet. So people find themselves routinely disappointed. And publishing's in this weird spot with that because at the same time, People who are consuming stories have more exciting ways to do that. They seem to be gravitating back towards old technology, right? Uh, One of the things we hear frequently at the London Book Fair is that publishers have to get better about looking forward and not back when it comes to innovation. Whenever something new comes about, we seem to like sprinkle technology over our old analog systems. And the, the impetus is that we should be looking forward and trying new things. But in fact, as publishers come into London this year, it's a fourth straight year of rising print sales. Uh, that old technology seems to be doing just fine, and publishers are banking that's going to continue. Excellent. So I just want to touch on ebooks because that's something that is always talked about. And as we were speaking digitally, um, mm-hmm. what's going on with ebooks? Well, for I think this is the fourth or fifth straight year in the U.S. where ebooks have been in decline, uh, and publishers don't seem at all worried about that. We just had Marcus Dole, who's the, of course, the CEO. CEO of Penguin Random House International in 2017, he was happy about the fact he touted that print and digital had found an equilibrium, and they were very happy that that equilibrium was 80-20 in favor of print and not the other way around. Uh, and Marcus recently visited us here in the offices of PW, and he reiterated that. They're more than happy to have print staying where it is and for digital, for ebooks to sort of not be rising, in fact, declining a little bit. As we come into this year's London Book Fair in the U.S., it seems ebooks are starting to find the floor. They're starting to find the level where they're just going to probably stay for a while after right. years of, I think they've lost, they were up to as high as 28, 29, and in some cases 30% of, of revenues. Now they're down back to around 20%. Uh, in the UK, ebooks are still growing a little bit, and in the Europe, they're still growing a little bit, but there's some structural differences between the ebook markets in Europe versus the U.S., fixed pricing laws, for example, that are going to keep ebooks uh, and VAT taxes, I should mention. There's some structural things that are going to keep ebooks in a certain niche level there. But when it comes to digital, publishers are really excited about where audio is heading. And that, you know, if you had told me, if you had told anybody back in a decade ago in the heyday when ebooks were starting, where Amazon had just launched the Kindle, that audiobooks is what was going to be pulling publishers' digital revenues into the black. I don't think anybody would have believed you. But today, that is the case. Right. Uh, ebooks, in fact, all of the major publishers, I think, would probably show digital revenue in the red, if not for audio, pulling it up into the black. 
And that's why we see so many American publishers putting a lot more effort into their audiobooks. We've seen that at Houghton Mifflin Harcourt recently and several others. Is the same thing happening in Europe? Absolutely. It's, it is a global trend. It's increasing in virtually every territory, some territories more than others. For example, in Scandinavia, subscription models are very popular, mm-hmm. and they're starting to take off here as well with Audible in the U.S., etc. Audible obviously has a big chunk of the market, but the audiobook market has been growing double-digit growth for, I think, four straight years now, wow. over 20% for four straight years. In fact, according to the AAP, I think the, the growth last year from the 1,200 publishers that report to their StatShot program for 2018 I think their rate of growth was 37.1% up in revenues, which is wow. just a staggering amount. And the thing that's most staggering is that it doesn't show any signs of leveling off. In fact, it's probably even going to increase in the coming years. Uh, and I have an interview in our London show dailies with Amanda DeCherno, who's the president of Penguin Random House's audio division. And two things that she points out that have her excited about the future. One is that smart homes are on the rise and people are starting to come home and say, you know, Google, tell me a story or Alexa, tell me a story. And they're using audiobooks to unwind at the end of the day, which is different from how they used to, right? Usually it was on the treadmill or on a car ride or on their commute. So that's going to change the way audiobooks are being marketed. And also the demographics. It's a very, very young audience. Uh, I think the lion's share, over 50% of the market was in the 18 to 44 demographic, which is very coveted. So there's, there's a lot of room for growth and a, a, a lot of room for, for younger readers to get into audiobooks. I keep thinking this is what I need to try with my kids, with my Google Home. How, how many books are on there? How easily is it accessible? Well, basically any book that you can buy anywhere would be available through your home speaker, right? If you, especially yeah. if, if you have an Amazon account, Audible has a number of them available as well. So, it's hard for me to think that there's not a front list book published today that doesn't have an audio component. And I, you know, in speaking with Amanda, I know Penguin Random House invested a ton of money in going back and getting, making sure all their backlist books were either had an audio edition or had a current audio edition. Cause some of these audio editions were done years ago. Uh, the quality wasn't quite so good or right. was it a bridged edition. So right. publishers have invested a lot of money in recent years to make sure that you can get a book in any format you want, whether it's an ebook, print, or now audio. How are Europeans and Scandinavians listening to it? Same? Same, same. In fact, you see a widening array of the way people are at, are accessing these yeah. audiobooks. There is the, the smart homes. I don't know how popular they are in Europe. This last holiday season in the U.S. was a huge year. But there's public libraries, there's right. uh, there's all kinds of services, and, and there's the, a greater array of apps on people's phones that can now access this content. And, you know, we, we could have seen this coming, right, with the growth of podcasts like this one, who have increased in popularity. And, you know, you now have just the technology itself. You now have the, the wireless earbuds you can carry around in your pocket. You don't have to have a CD Walkman anymore to listen to everything's on your phone and in the cloud. Uh, it's just the barriers to entry for audio are, are dropping. The technology is getting better, and it shows no signs of slowing down. If you're going to see serious growth in the next year and onward. So who's going to be the keynote speaker, and what do you think the issues will be? Well, London is interesting because they don't really have a keynote speaker per se. They have uh, a number of different speakers who will be speaking throughout the fair, a number of issues, and a professional program that's that's pretty wide ranging. So we tend to focus a lot on trade publishing, right? 
But this year, I think you're going to see one of the major focuses of the fair on the scholarly side with the open access movement. Uh, as our listeners may know, in Europe, there's a plan afoot that would basically require open access by 2020, which is just months away. Yeah. You know, no looking at our deadlines. Right, 2020 right. comes a lot faster. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. So that, that's something in the EU that is that's a very controversial uh, development because it's, you know, the, publishers like Elsevier are quite concerned about what that means. But researchers are pretty much sending a message now that they're sick of paying high subscription costs. They want everything open access. They want to drop the barriers to scientific research. And there's the proposal in, in the EU is aggressive for sure, but it doesn't seem like it's out of bounds. Right. I think the message that's being sent by researchers is that we want this. We'll figure out the details later, but you know, hear us. This is This is the future and we're done dragging our feet. And recently in the U.S., the University of California decided to drop Elsevier's subscription. That's an $11 million a year subscription to journals. And the reason they did was because they, too, are pushing for open access. So we seem to be hitting an inflection point that is going to have a major impact on the publishing business worldwide, both here in the U.S. and in Europe. So maybe some of the big books that you might have heard about that will be bought and sold over there. I wish I had more to say on that right now. We won't really know until next week, but we will next week. And and of course, listeners, you can read all about it in our show dailies, which are free online on the Publishers Weekly website, as well as in print on on the floor there. But all I can tell you right now about the rights dealing that's happening is that it's a once again it's bigger every year both in Frankfurt and in London the, the rights dealing has been brisk and the rights centers have been selling out and increasing right. uh, capacity every year and it's no different this year in London they're expecting more tables in the international rights center and they're expecting a pretty high volume of deals so you go to these uh, I mean you've been going to this for for years this is my tenth book for it would have been oh eleven God. except for that unpronounceable Icelandic volcano that right. stranded me oh in two thousand ten I, I right. wish I could say it but I can't <laughs> I can't even pronounce it what is it that you're looking forward to most this year oh, a good pint no <laughs> which is <laughs> always a, that. <laughs> you know it, it's funny it's a hugely busy time in London. You're running around crazily all the time. You're constantly chasing stories. You're listening to people. You're going to professional programs. But it's so exciting. It's London in spring, and you're there talking about books and publishing. It almost doesn't even feel like work sometimes. But it is work. And <laughs> when it comes right. to work, I think there's a couple of things that I'm really interested in finding out. And one of them is technology, of course. Last year, a big focus of the fair was how blockchain might affect the publishing industry. And to me, I feel like we're a long way from blockchain really having application in the publishing business just because most writers don't want to be paid in pebbles or whatever the cryptocurrency is just yet. Explain to us blockchain. Blockchain is essentially a technology that uses basically an encrypted code that can contain everything from the terms of the contract to the payment for the author. Uh, And that payment, of course, is paid to you in cryptocurrency, which you then have to go on to an exchange and make turn into real currency. But what the publishing industry is especially interested in is that it's it's self-enforcing in terms of rights. So who gets what money where, where it can be accessed, how it can be accessed is all contained within the code of the blockchain. So... Publishers who are always interested in protecting and safeguarding their intellectual property are quite interested in that, though I'm quite concerned about the implication it has on free speech and fair use, et cetera. But you know, we'll see. It's still, it's, it's, last year there was a very, there was a large session in London that was really hugely attended. There was a report that was issued. And the number one question people had going in was what was blockchain? And coming out, a lot of people were thinking, well, all right, I can see how it could work. Right. So I'll be interested to see how that 
sort of take shape this year at the fair. Well, I'm wishing you a nice pint when you get there, safe travels, and uh, we're going to look forward to your articles, your dispatches as they come out. Plenty of stuff. And again, I'll just remind readers, they can read the London Show Dailies online for free on the PW website next week. And there you have it. You've been listening to it all there. Log on. We've been talking with Andrew Albanese, our senior writer, about the upcoming London Book Fair. Andrew, thank you so much for talking with us. My pleasure. I'm Mark Rotella, Senior Editor at Publishers Weekly. Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to subscribe to PW Insider on iTunes, and we'll see you next week.